is a presentation of the Match Talk Podcast Network. Defense Soap revolutionized athletic hygiene in 2005 with the introduction of a bar soap containing natural ingredients proven to be effective against skin infections common to wrestlers. Today, Defense Soap leads the world in sports hygiene innovation with a complete line of bar soaps, shower gels, and body wipes that contain high-grade tea tree, eucalyptus, and peppermint oils. Defense Soap. Defend what you have built at DefenseSoap.com. Hello, wrestling fans. It's time for the World Wrestling Resource Podcast. World Wrestling Resource was made that you as a wrestler, parent, coach, or fan can have access to all the resources of the very best in the world of wrestling. I'm three-time wrestling writer and broadcaster of the year, Jason Bryant, and I want you to join me along with John McGovern and world champions Terry Brands and Dennis Hall as we talk training tips, topical discussion, mental preparation, and more on the World Wrestling Resource Podcast. World Wrestling Resource is sponsored by Defense Soap. Find World Wrestling Resource on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldwrestlingresource and follow us on Twitter at WWRESO and, of course, on the web at worldwrestlingresource.com. Now on to the show as we join John McGovern, Terry Brands, and Dennis Hall. Episode 65 of the World Wrestling Resource Podcast. Getting ready for the Junior World Championships coming up in September in Slovakia, and the Senior Worlds again in Budapest, Hungary. One of the men who shot Budapest back in 2013, our guest today, and I say shot not in a wrestling sense, but a shot in a photographer's sense, Tony Rotundo from WrestlersOfWarriors.com and one of the finest wrestling photographers in the world. Tony, overdue. Jason. Overdue, man. Yeah. Uh, I, won't, I won't dispute that. Um, wrestlers, Wrestling photographers need love, too, and so... Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, happy to be here and uh, excited about talking about uh, international wrestling and uh, particularly from a photographer's viewpoint. Tony also has some uh, international wrestling experience of his own. We'll get to that in a minute. But Tony <laughs> actually made an appearance on the network. Of course, this, the World Wrestling Resource Podcast, part of the Mad Talk Podcast Network. And Tony made an appearance on Bonus Points, which was Richard Immel's USA Wrestling Show back on February 18th, 2016. So you hadn't had a chance to go back and check that one out. That was episode 31 of Bonus Points. So uh, madtalkonline.com slash BP31 if you want to go back and listen to some two-year-old Tony Rotundo anecdotes. So, Tony, we're <laughs> going to jump right into it. You're a native New Yorker. You live out in California. You've been shooting wrestling for a long time. You grew up wrestling, got away from the sport, came back. Uh, that's, that's, I guess, the 24,000-foot view. But I want to zero in. On your international experience first, we'll get. The, we'll, I want to get this story out of the way. 1983, Cadet Greco World Silver Medalist. The Cadet Worlds were in Missoula, Montana. Just how does that whole scenario unfold? Yeah, I, I qualified to go to this. Uh, to, I basically qualified at a at a at a northeastern uh, tournament. I had no idea that that back in at that time, uh, Cadet World Championships weren't weren't as big of a deal as they are now by any stretch of the imagination. So it was actually more of an opportunity to train and get ready for, um, for the Empire State Games, which are in New York. That was kind of a bigger deal to me. And so we got invited out to Montana for two weeks for a camp. Um, and then at the end of the camp, uh, kids rolled in from like Italy, Mexico, 
um, and just a handful of other countries. And and it was like a one or two day, I think it was a one day tournament. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we did this camp and then kind of right at the end of it, um, they had a tournament. And for me, I, you know, I had been, I had been wrestling so much that like, I, I just, it didn't even dawn on me. I, I guess they probably called it a world championship, but it wasn't like a real tournament. It was like, we, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a deal as you can imagine. Like we kind of just turned around from this training camp and the next day, uh, you know, there were some kids from other countries that had shown up and we wrestled them. And, you know, I had been to so many hundreds and hundreds of tournaments that um, it just, you know, it, it really was. And, and then the participation level wasn't that great. Like um, we had a full team, the U.S. had a full team, but the other countries didn't bring full teams. And so, yeah, it, it was interesting um, reflecting back on it. I never, ever had any inkling that I would be in the archives. Um, or anything like that. So when you pulled that up, it was it made me laugh pretty heartily. Um, made my dad laugh for sure. Yeah, we found that a couple years ago. I can't remember even why I was searching your name in the in the UWW database. I think it was even the Fila era at the time. I was like, I I don't know why I searched Rotundo for some reason. Boom, there it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we just do searches like Google searches uh, of me all the time, Jason. I I may. I'm not. I'm not gonna. <laughs> Now, here's an interesting thing. Yeah. I, I did a little digging on that. So you wrestled a guy. Do you actually, first of all, do you know, you remember the guy you wrestled? It, it was a guy, for, he was from, you know, it's funny. I, I did this research too. Uh, what, was he from Mexico? Colombia. Colombia. Okay, there you go. Sorry. Um, right. And he went on to, to wrestle a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, so that you're already setting up, you're already stealing my thunder, setting up yeah. my question. So here's the sorry, thing: sorry. he finished 18th at the 1987 Freestyle Senior World Championships at 62 kilos. Who won that weight class that year? Oh, man, uh, he said freestyle or Greco? Freestyle. We, we wrestled Greco. Freestyle. Uh, I don't know. I need a. I need a lifeline. Uh, I call you. I, I'd say call me and just say I'd call Stillwater. There's your hint. <laughs> John? John Smith won <laughs> Yes. And what's also wow. interesting, you go through through that year, you look at the evidence like Gary Bohe re- representing Canada. He was he was sixteenth that year, then Rincon, and then the, like the super uh Facebook photo tagger uh Terry Trillet from Belgium. He was also wrestling in that tournament. So uh by what is it, the distributive or transitive or I don't know, whatever. I, I didn't do that math stuff, but uh, so yeah. yeah, you basically softened up Rincon so John Smith could win the weight a couple years later. <laughs> That's funny. Here's how the match went: arm throw, arm throw, and it was pretty much. It was like we had. It was really a funny camp. Like we, I forgot who the coach was of of the Greco team, but he had this thing. He just every single practice, and we had three a day. Everything we did was exactly the same. The warm up was exactly the same. The drilling was exactly the same. And for some reason, like an arm throw defense didn't make it into the repertoire. And like, you know, I never got an offense going. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was thinking about, but, um, but it, it wasn't a glorious match. It was, it was a bit of a, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a downer. Cause it was one of those deals where you get off the mat and going like, what the heck just happened? You know, you know, you see wrestlers do that and you're like, how could they not know what just happened? But it's just a sort of like, how could I do that? 
why didn't I get my offense? Like in that moment when you see wrestlers come off and they, they kind of look like um, it, you'll see in the world's photos in 09, Sean Bunch does something really no offense to Sean Bunch. I love the guy, but Stupid. He, 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 yeah, he, he tries to cement makes it type thing. Uh, didn't need to do it. Lends up on his back. It's pinned. The other guy does the absolute worst backflip in the history of the world. I have photos of it. Um, but he, he gets up, you can see him on the mat and he's looking over his corner. Like what just happened? And, you know, you sometimes see that and you're like, how can a wrestler not know what just happened? But it's not just like, what just happened in the last two seconds? But what, what, how have I lost this match? Like, how did this come about? Because I was winning, right? You know, or I didn't execute my game plan. So, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I, one side note to this, I actually went on and got third at the Empire State Games. And so all that training did pay off. I felt very good and confident in that tournament. But wrestling, uh, Rincon, uh, the Colombian stud, um, not, not so much. <laughs> Man, you're you're putting some revisionist history on this one, Mister Rotundo. But but uh, as as I we remember, get... he was huge. <laughs> Tony, he was so big. You're not huge. He wasn't huge. Come on, man. Again, more revisionist no, history. We're we're like we're like probably ninety two pounds, something like that. I don't even I don't even want to do the uh, the the kilo uh, 30, 30 kilos. Yeah, is I mean, what it's so, listed as. And, and I, I, dude, here's the thing. I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Yeah. He was not big. So, so uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it had to have been more than. Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah, I think it's, pounds. it's probably, it listed as 30 it's, in the database. Uh, that can't be right. It'd probably be closer um, to 40 something. Anyway. It, yeah. It's probably 48 or something. 48 ish. Like yeah. 105 and a half or 42. something like that. Yeah. Four, no, it's, it was later than that. That's the thing. I was like, I'm one of those, I was, one of those people, you know how, like, I w- if if the weight classes were now what they were then, like, basically, if it, if 105 was the lowest weight class, you'd be losing a lot of people. I, I was a 92-pound, um, that's cutting some weight, but I was a 92-pound sophomore. So it, it was it, it was probably 42 kilos, which is 92 and a half pounds. That, that would make sense. That, that would sound in line with what uh, then Fila had. Uh, what's also interesting, that's also, I think, yeah. the weight class, the best man at my wedding. Uh, wrestled at the Cadet Worlds in '98. Speaking of weddings, this is this is one thing. So we, we we're getting Tony on the show to talk about, but you know, taking pictures and, and the art of photography at international events. And uh, I'll be darn it if a re- if a wedding doesn't get in the way of a wrestling tournament. Tony Rotunda, you're about to about to tie the knot. Let's just get get get, get that out of the way first. Let's say one congratulations. Two, come on, man, wrestling season doesn't end. How do you pl- how do you plan a wedding for this when the season doesn't end? Well. You, 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 you don't around a, a wrestling event like the world's and the world should not be, uh, at the end of October, uh, no offense to whoever made that decision, but no, it's, it's interesting because what I, I, we would be, if they were where they will be next year and for the foreseeable future, it would be right now. We'd be at the world. Um, it's going to be like second, third week of September, right? They've made that announcement that it's, kind of locked in they're not going to float it in august or october but yeah i um sadly i i i'm gonna miss the world this year i uh i'm getting married on september 22nd and i'm going on a honeymoon for two weeks and i'd have to turn around and go to worlds about a week after i get back from my honeymoon which um which if folks don't know wrestling photography isn't my day job um it is it is what i do as a hobby and to give back to the sport um, 
I uh, I work for Disney Disney Streaming Services, which used to be an MLB company, um, Major League Baseball company. But um, yeah, not great optics to turn around a week after your honeymoon and then go back to Budapest for ten days. So I'm gonna have to miss it. It's gonna absolutely. I've told my my fiance. I was like, I'm gonna be really irritable that week, like because there's. There's nothing more frustrating for me than missing a high-end wrestling event. Like, it, it, there are very few things that would get me to miss a wrestling event of that caliber. And unfortunately, wedding and honeymoon is, is one of those things. So um, I'm super happy. My partner is fantastic. She supports me uh, in, in, in all things I do in my life, but especially um, this, the wrestling photography. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm marrying a, a great woman. and. Um, super, super happy about it. The wedding's going to be fantastic and here pretty local to San Francisco. Uh, so yeah, uh, kind of, kind of good news, bad news. So super happy about the wedding, super bummed that, um, I'm going to miss, uh, miss the world. And before we even get to, into the, the, um, minutia of photography, who does a, a photographer hire to photograph their wedding? Great question. Um, so a photographer photographs their, their fiance's friend, who's an amazing event photographer, um, that we are getting at a very affordable rate because he's a good friend of ours. He's, he's, um, he's just really magical. He, he gets moments really, really well. Um, I don't know if he's ever shot sports, uh, but I'm sure he would be good at it. Um, his name is Justin Winokur and he's, uh, He's a he's a good dude and a fantastic photographer, and he sets up a photo booth uh, when he comes and shoots weddings, which is a big. I've seen big that. That's bonus. awesome. Those things yeah. are awesome. Yeah, it, because you really then get like a lot of group shots that a photographer, by the time of the reception, is tired and doesn't want to run around, and it's hard to wrangle people. And so when you have this place, like let's go over to the photo booth, um, it, it you get good results. When we get into photography. You know, we need to dial this back a little bit. You got away from wrestling for a while, and then you went out to California. What drew you back into the sport? You know, I was I was literally going to the gym every day and passing by Berkeley High School uh, on my way to the gym. I'd go to the gym at lunchtime uh, for my work, and uh, it just dawned on me that wrestling season would have started. Um, this was probably around 2000, um, and uh, I made it a point to drop in. So it just was like I was going past this high school and I was like, oh, you know, I wonder, I wonder what it's like. Like I didn't, I really hadn't been following the sport. I I really missed a lot of what was going on. I certainly heard the Dave Schultz tragedy and stuff like that. But, um, and I would watch the Olympics and stuff, but, um, you know, I, I was passing by the high school, and one day after work, I dropped in, and it was just uh, just crazy, like, how um, they needed help, you know. Uh, there, were, there were two coaches there, um, uh, Brad Itakazu and Hugh Johnson. Shout out to those guys. Uh, they were doing good work. I mean, wrestling, coaching, wrestling, coaching wrestling in high school is extremely time-consuming. It's very difficult um, to stay motivated. And particularly with smaller programs where you're you're really babysitting more than anything. And so, you know, you're really focusing on a couple of great athletes. And then there are a lot of yokels who are just taking it 
sort of for intramural. So I, uh, I dropped in and they immediately were like, you know, it was like, I, I actually wrote up a little wrestling resume for Brad just to be like, I'm not just off the street. And uh, I, I, I probably neglected to mention that I was a silver cadet world champion. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Imagine that. but uh, he was like, yeah, sure, go out and referee. And I was like, Jesus, I don't even remember the rules. Like, um, you know, referee, like like the, the wrestle-offs or whatever. And um, so the other thing is I got in there on the mat, and of course, just to kind of prove my, my um my knowledge and all that, like, it, so I would get respect in the room. They, he put me up against a pretty good stud. And so I pretty, I think I hurt my back probably permanently, like wrestling this kid. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I've got to, I've got to, you know, <laughs> like prove my, my worth in the room here. And um, yeah, scrapped with the kids a little bit, but then didn't really wrestle with them too much after that season. It very painful when I was in my thirties. Um, but uh yeah, so that's kind of how I got back into it and eventually was coaching on my own. And it was just, it wasn't the right fit for me. I wanted to go see the world. I wanted to go to college tournaments. I wanted to do more with it, like even as a fan and as a coach for a small program, like you just can't. Every weekend is tied up in tournaments and practice and stuff. So um, I met. John Sachs, who was uh, very local to me, he's another uh, fantastic wrestling photographer, and he he's in the same section that I was coaching in Berkeley's North Coast section. And so I ran into him at a sectional tournament, and uh, he was photographing. And I, I said, "What do you what do you do with your photos?" He said, "I put them on a website." And at the time, that was still a pretty novel idea. And I knew at that moment that that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I got his number and then a year later, um, I coached that next season. And then at the end of the season, I, I called him up and said, Hey, you know, this sounds really intriguing to me. Um, I'm going to have some time. Uh, can I contribute some photos? And it just took off from there. It was absolutely natural fit for me. It, it just, I loved it from the first second that I changed gears there a little bit. Um, I was like, this is it. Like I was just the happiest guy at a wrestling tournament. and uh, very friendly, very, um, you know, just lots, lots of interactions with people. Whereas as a coach, I was just in my own head and trying to get one kid to win one match, you know, and not being very social. And so literally overnight, it was just like, this is, this is my thing. Now, did you have any photography experience beforehand? Yeah, I did. You know, I, 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 my dad was always encouraging of photography. And so, uh, he always had cameras and, so I shot a little bit in high school on film, um, shot for my college a little bit. So I, I did have some photography experience and really appreciated it and uh, was always in- interested in it. So um, I, I, it, that's kind of why it was a natural fit. It was like taking these two things that I really enjoyed um, and putting them together. Uh, and so it wasn't like it was never a struggle or a hassle. I, I, I've never bemoaned buying a piece of camera gear um you know uh and i've never bemoaned going to a wrestling tournament so you know um you just kind of slam these two things together and and it just it made a lot of sense like it it it, it was one of those things in my life that like when he said that it was like light bulbs went off like literally i'm like that's it like it, it was like he said like i 
photograph and put them up on a website. And I'm like, that's it. Like, I saw the future. I mean, I didn't see myself at the Olympics or anything like that. But pretty early on, I was like, I'm going to do this. I am committing to this. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to contribute. This is what's going to drive me to make an impact a little bit in the wrestling community. And, uh, and, it, and it just was an easy ride, you know, just like n- never questioned the amount of work that goes into it, um, the amount of money, the amount of travel, all that. Like, <clears throat> particularly at first, I was just happy as a clam. Um, there's, a, there's a ton of work. What people probably don't realize is that, you know, getting yourself to the wrestling event and, uh, and photographing the wrestling event and having the gear and having the knowledge and having the skill that's just the first part of it. Then you get home and you have hours and hours and hours of post-processing work to do. So it's editing out, you know, paring down one round. You might shoot two to 4,000 photos, paring it down to the top 100 photos and no more or, you know, not much more than that for a session. Um, and then editing them and captioning them and posting them and stuff. It's, it's uh, a lot of work that, you know, a lot of late hours late at night and particularly for someone who who it's not you know I, i've got a on, on monday mornings after the ncaa's when everybody's just like jacked about you know ab- about the tournament thinking about the tournament and flow is thinking about their broadcast and, you know you're thinking about your podcast i have to turn on a dime and get reconnected with my work and i'm a director <laughs> at like my company so i have to like kind of drop wrestling for for eight hours uh, and then, and then I get home on Monday evening from work and I'm like, you know, charging in and trying to get photos up as quickly as possible. You know, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's interesting, uh, the amount of work that goes into it, uh, as a, as a photographer. One thing that podcasters get is it's, it's gas. And I mean, gear acquisition syndrome. Was that something where, you know, you said you didn't bemoan <laughs> buying gear. Is that something do you have to watch yourself yeah. when you're a photographer? Uh, you, you do, um, you know, I've always made relatively calculated decisions. I believe in redundancy. I do not believe going to the world championships with just one lens and one camera, uh, is a wise thing because, uh, if that lens or camera fails, you're, you're just sitting in the stands. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I get, I get ribbed a little bit by some of the photographers, but they've kind of followed suit. They, they see the, the value in, um, in making sure you have redundant gear. Um, you know, I don't want to, I, I'll, I'll have three bodies, three main bodies that I use. So camera bodies that I use, um, a multiple set of lenses, but you know, in the moment, like if I'm shooting, uh, a match and, uh, they go to the corner and I want to, uh, I want a wider angle shot. Um, I don't have time to, to take my lens off my one main body and put a new lens on and shoot and then take that lens off and put the other lens on. And so the idea of having redundancy um, and having multiple bodies and multiple lenses that you, you need to move very fast. And so you'll, you'll, you'll put one camera down, pick one camera up, take a couple shots, put that down and pick the other camera up. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I like gear. I like geeking out on gear. I, I, uh, you know, you, you, you posted something about Amazon, like what was your very first Amazon purchase? And um, mine was not wrestling or not photography gear, but I can totally see the trend of when I started discovering, like, you know, camera gear on Amazon. Because my, 
my uh, purchases per year went up pretty dramatically in like 2005, 2006. I think uh, I was still buying then, when I made my first purchase 2002. I think it was actually Amazon was still only books at the time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, so and my dates are wrong. So it's more like 2007 and 2008 was when I was starting to buy tables and gadgets and stuff like that. But yeah, I I have a pretty big closet full of stuff. Um, but I use I use most of it. Some of it was gimmicky that like I could get rid of in a garage sale or whatever, but most of it's um, pretty useful. I, I do sell gear off, and I've sold it to a number of the other wrestling photographers, um, trying to give them good deals and, and stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll, my primary camera is usually the latest uh, and best camera that Nikon puts out. Um, and then I'll, what I'll do is I'll, if I have three cameras, I'll, I'll buy the newest, and then I'll sell the, the oldest and kind of cover maybe half the cost, maybe. Um, but I just see this as part of the, it's part of the process. I mean, you know, people say gear doesn't make a photographer and that's not entirely true. It's, it is true that a great photographer will find good light. Um, but when you're looking at, you know, weirdly lit, low lit high schools and weirdly lit, you know, world championships, you really do need high end cameras and lenses i mean to to get to get great shots um particularly in with high action so um yeah you know it's 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 an investment of time and of money and knowledge and um there's kind of no really getting around that um at the highest level you know, there's so many different ways we can go on this. One thing we need to get back to is actually wrestling. We could go, we can go gear happy. We can yeah. go tech happy. For I mean, I'm more than happy to do that. But wrestling folks around the world, are like, wait a minute, we're, we're talking about shooting wrestling around the world. So you have shot wrestling around the world, and I'm curious on how you went from you know meeting John Saxon gang. That's what I want to do to the 2009 World Championships in Herning, yep. Denmark. We've got a lot we can talk about on the college scene, but since we're talking. Shooting internationally brings a whole lot of different challenges that you don't get shooting in St. Louis so, uh, for the NCAA championships, yeah. for example. So let's let's take us through how does 2009 uh, make its way through your world, which actually coincidentally, 2009, 2010, you were the National Wrestling Media Association Photographer of the Year and uh, an, an organization which actually hold a, a an officer role as a, you are the treasurer. But uh, you actually haven't had the checkbook at all since you've had that role. But uh, let's get back to 2009 before I get uh, get off off tangent again. Yeah, um, you know, it, it, it was, so the situation was in 2007, I was too green to go to the world. I, I, were they in Baku? That uh, was my first trip. Yeah, that was Baku. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was too green. I hadn't been shooting enough to make that trip worthwhile. And then 08 was the Olympics. Um, I tried, I pitched uh, for me to get an Olympic credential in 08, but I was just a little too green to to uh, USA Wrestling uh, staff, and so um, I didn't I didn't get tapped for the 2008 Olympics. But then by 2009, I was like, I'm going. I I they could have been underwater. I would have gone to them. Like I um I, I didn't care. So the Herning Denmark never heard of it. Um, but I love to travel. So that's one really nice thing is I love traveling. Like I love exploring different cultures and different worlds. So it's like Middle of Denmark, sure. Why not? Let's do it. I found it. I found a Airbnb before Airbnb existed. I don't know what it was, but what I like, couch surfing, stayed in somebody's it? apartment. 
Like, yeah, it was couch surfing, or but I stayed in somebody's apartment in Herning, Denmark, for the first while. Then I moved to a hotel, but um, I just I was just over the moon. I loved it. It was funny. I thought for sure there would be great shooting positions, and I walked in the first day, and they literally hadn't thought about where the photographers would go, and so we were down on the floor behind the table and behind the coaches and the athletes, and you know for your your podcast listeners, I'm not the tallest person in the room ever. <laughs> so um, I'm pretty short. And so the, I knew I would be in trouble. And um, uh, Danny Felix's family had seats that were like in the first row, um, kind of dead center. And so I, they, they had extra seats and let me sit there. And I shot basically from the stands, but I got some good stuff because the stands in Herning were, um, that first row was pretty level with the mat. Um, so got some good stuff there. It was exciting. I was definitely over my head in terms of like the processing of photos um, and uh, and like how to edit, how to process very quickly. I was trying to get photos up to Mike Finn at Win Magazine. And I think I frustrated him because um, it just took me forever to kind of get through which photos I wanted to give to him and um, and get them to him and stuff. But it was thrilling to be there. Uh, very, very eye-opening. You know, I hadn't been to a, a, I'd only been to like the highest level tournament at that time I would have shot was the 08 Olympic team trials. Um, so I had never been to the world and it was just eye-opening. You know, it was, it was fascinating for me and really, really fun. Um, Herbert, Jake Herbert got second. He beat, uh, he beat uh, Gattisov, right, for, in the semis, which was like, which is crazy. The the um, the men's freestyle team was was happy with that performance. Uh, I remember hanging out with them. There were, there were only two bars in Herning, Denmark, and so it was easy to run into people. Um, <laughs> and, and, and which uh, one of yeah, those so, I think was kept open by an American who was paying the bar to keep it open because everything closes at like nine o'clock <laughs> with a thirty-eight dollar hamburger. Cleanest place I've yeah. ever been, by the way. Yeah, Herning. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so a great time. Uh, definitely, like, want to do that again. Um, so, so in 2010, um, Moscow. And I'm like, man, who wouldn't want to go to Moscow for wrestling? So uh, another great time. Uh, that time was wild as the photographers. They tried to wrangle. We, we were kind of in the first row of stands, but still at floor level. And uh, the 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 people, the fans would would ignore the 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 sort of security. And when there were big moments, uh, like Russians winning, uh, they would all run kind of toward the mat and get in our way. And uh, but you know, super super exciting, great trip to Moscow. Um, yeah. No, we you look went to at, Moscow, I assume. Yeah, yeah. I've been in every one since 07, was not yeah. in 08, but uh, nine consecutively uh, all the way now. And as we head to Budapest. Now, one thing that I, I've always kind of under, I've probably, I guess, assumed is when you're a wrestler and you've got a camera and you're shooting wrestling, you can have that anticipation maybe a little bit better than, you know, there's great photographers that work for, for Gannett and, and the Associated Press and things like that. Do you feel like you've got an advantage over them? in those situations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, 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 it's not even just like, you know, 
which way is this guy going to turn on when he's finishing that double? But it starts it starts way further upstream from that. It's uh, who are these athletes? What's the story behind this match? And I I love wrestling. Like I I geek out on it. I read all I listen to all the blogs or excuse me I read a lot of blogs and like stuff that's posted. I listen to the podcast. I'm um, you know, I, I mean, I'm like second behind Julie, Julius Lada in terms of like wrestling knowledge. A little shout out to her. And I'm kind of kidding because her wrestling knowledge is off the hook. But, um, you know, so knowing who the matchups are, like where is the drama going to be? Um, why is this an exciting match? And then, then specifically on the match, like, you know, if I know those guys and I know what they have tendencies of doing, um, I'll remember that. And that's come into play. Like, I've turned to other photographers, like, at the Olympics and stuff and say, watch, this guy's going to hit, you know, like, whatever, arm throw. And um, Always well, comes behold, back to the he, arm he throw, doesn't it? it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, at the Olympics, it was pretty funny because, as you said, I mean, these are fantastic photographers. They're getting great shots, but they don't know the sport that well. It would be like, you know, you going and, well, you know a lot of sports, but, you know, going and, uh, and, um, and photographing or me going and photographing like team handball, I'd be like, why, what's the drama here? I don't, I don't get it or, or something like that. So, um, yeah, it'd be fun to kind of educate those guys and you gain a little bit of respect, like your seat, um, all of a sudden is there the next day because they're like, oh, this guy really knows the sport and is passionate about the sport and stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the, the anticipation, every, it, it's a common question. Um, and it certainly helps. Um, you know, you, you can, you can, um, learn that, uh, it's not to say that a person who, who's never wrestled, uh, wouldn't make a great photographer. Um, but I think it's an advantage for sure. Um, and it certainly makes it very fun. You know, like I know why this match is exciting. I know the history of these wrestlers. Or, you know, uh, and that sort of thing. And when I don't, I get really frustrated because later I'm like, I should have known. Um, but, yeah, the anticipation definitely is, uh, is helpful to, to get good shots. And then sometimes you just get lucky. When we talk about the Olympics, and that is something, and you said you were, you were a little green, and, and for those who want to know how it works in the United States, all media has to go through the USOC's uh, media credentialing system. And in this case... We got the application for 2020, like, recently. So we're talking yep. a year and a half out. So, you know, the 200-day yep. mark, they start looking at credentials. So, uh, you know, if you're you're new on the scene in 07, trying to get an 08, sorry, you've, you've missed the deadline. Now, moving towards 2016, yep. you got the opportunity to go to Rio. What was that process like? And when you got the thumbs up that you were going to be one of the few American photographers there in the wrestling facility, you know, what, what was going through your mind? Yeah, I um, the the process was I I I got passed up. So it it starts like a lot of my stories. It starts a little bit earlier. So in 2012, the as you remember, the Olympics were in London, and the issue there is that because it was London, everybody uh, wanted a credential. No one didn't want a credential, um, and so that put a cap on how many credentials could go out. So. And for wrestling, it's been in the past three or four credentials. For London, wrestling only got two credentials that they could approve. And um, unfortunately, through uh, seniority, I was in line behind uh, John Sachs and, and Larry Slater. 
So I did not go to London, even though I think there were a lot of people in the room that that felt I was qualified. But I respect the decision because, you know, you got to pay your dues and, and seniority is, is important. Um, but I had conversations with uh, the communication staff at USA Wrestling uh, because obviously I was disappointed and um, I, I had reasonable assurances that that I would probably get a credential for, for Rio. So I had four years to, to prove my worth, to, to knuckle down and, and really work very hard to make sure they realized that um, should that opportunity come along, I, I wouldn't let them down. Um, <laughs> I kind of rehearsed like what I was going to say uh, to them when I got the, the, the approval, but it all, it didn't work out that way. I, um, I didn't cry, but man, I was pretty close to it. I, it was basically just, I received an email from the, um, USOC that was basically like, congratulations, your, your credential has been approved. And then lots of details. And, you know, I, I certainly took a very, very long moment, uh, to enjoy that and to uh, you know, to to recognize like that that that's that's a goal and a dream, and um, that's just a lot of hard work. You know, it's uh, uh, it, it it was very exciting. It was um, it was really a dream come true. True, it was uh, a proud moment, a proud phone call, uh, you know, to my to my parents. You know, there's some so, things. Yeah, was, <laughs> there are some things about 2016 we'll get into, and then we'll we'll pick to some questions here that have come in. Uh, of course, we answered the one from Mark Lundy. Uh, we also had one that I wasn't quite sh- I couldn't remember who asked it, but if your house is on fire, your computer is crashed, <laughs> what three pictures do you take with you? Yeah. Uh, well, you, you, I think you, we, we'd spoken that um, you can post. Why don't we post these three pictures of the three, uh, the three um, uh, li- links of the three pictures uh, in your show notes? Um, uh, it, it's tricky. So just so there, it's kind of a trick question. It's a Dwight, bit of a, a Dwight Schrute question. What I would do is <laughs> Black Bear. Next question. Is, <laughs> <laughs> I have um, I have all of my photos on uh, multiple hard drives, and they're in different locations. So I have uh, I have one at work and one at home. Uh, I have all my Olympics on uh, solid state hard drives. All my Olympic photos on solid state. Uh, some drive they're both at work and at home uh the only step i haven't taken which i have seriously considered is a safe deposit box um so you know houses on fire i don't necessarily have to grab three photos but i totally appreciate uh the question and 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 let me answer it by saying that um john and i john sachs and i had a conversation once about wanting to shoot five great timeless photos um five photos that you know you 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 don't even need to be a wrestling fan to uh to to really appreciate them and they will stand the test of time like even in 100 years uh, assuming the sport is still around uh they will they will appreciate and and get it and so um two of those uh i have one is Kyle Dake from the NCAA's uh against Montel Marion which um was in 2000 and keep me honest here. Um, it uh, uh, didn't put the date. Pretty sure that um, would have been ten because Ryan Williams from ODU was in the finals in '09, and Dake was at the same right. weight next year, so it would have been two. Th- yeah, it would have been 2010. Yeah, 
and and Dink on the U.S. World Team, by the way. <laughs> yeah, which we're going to get to in a second. Uh, stop me if I'm rambling, but um, he's shooting uh, head on the outside, high crotch. His his left hand is making contact with Marion's uh, right leg, and his right hand is is way up in the air, kind of like he's throwing off uh, Marion's overhook. Uh, but he's he's charging hard with his left foot, which is up in the air, and his right foot is super extended. So he's like taking this really, really deep uh, shot. And it just, to me, um, it, I just really love that shot. Uh, and I will, <laughs> this is a bit of a sidebar, but um, I was sick as a dog at that finals. I had the stomach flu that was going around at that world champion or that NCAA championships. A lot of the media folks got sick and I rallied to make it to the finals, which possibly wasn't going to happen. That would have been uh, Omaha, really, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I got sick that the next sense. day. Yep. Yeah, a lot of people did. It was it was bad. Um, uh, people were like leaving the finals, like to go be ill. But um, really got it, and was really happy. I got I got this great great shot. Um, second one is from the 2015 Pan Am Games um, in Toronto, and it, it's not U.S. wrestlers. Um, it's a Venezuelan wrestler, it, so it's Pan Am's. So um, and a uh, he's what is TRC? Uh, uh, Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Thank you. Uh, in a uh, bronze medal match, and that the funny story about that is I was sitting on a bench waiting for the finals to start, um, and I was talking and chatting with a newspaper report, local newspaper reporter, and he was kind of talking my ear off, and um, I was half paying attention to the bronze medal matches, but I had my camera on a monopod um, sitting in front of me with my hand kind of on the button, just holding it. And we're talking and chatting and chatting. And sometimes when a big move happens, like all the air in the room, I think it's, it's kind of like this giant inhale uh, before a big move happens. It's sort of like before a baby cries, there's this like moment of silence. And they're like taking in a lot of air and then something really, you know, they, they, they cry for the next 20 minutes. And so in a wrestling tournament, you've, and you've seen this, I know, is like there's this, there's this moment where it builds up. So guy is shooting a double. Um, the Venezuelan is shooting a double, and he's coming around, and he's lifting him. And, and you kind of can sense that it's, 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 something's going to happen. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like starting to look, but not fully looking through my viewfinder as the guy's talking to me. And uh, lo and behold, the, the Venezuelan just leaps in the air. So he's like, he's facing the frame and he's got this double and both of the wrestlers are probably two or two and a half feet off the mat, uh, clearly. And it's a crisp shot, like absolutely crisp, clean shot. Um, I didn't shoot like a whole, I didn't shoot many of the photos. I didn't hold down the trigger that much. I just probably shot three shots. The ref is kind of still in the picture. He's got kind of a funny look on his face, like, oh, what just happened? Um, and so that th those two I definitely would take with me. Um, the the third one, uh, third one's a bit of a toss up. There there are a lot. There's the there's third one, thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands. You could probably say, all right, let's try that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Does it involve a Mongolian? Yeah. <laughs> no, you know that is that is a fantastic set of photos. And if if the Mongolian protest, if you you know go check out the Olympic photos on my website. Um, that that is a, a one of the craziest moments I've ever witnessed in sport. Um, uh, 
uh, totally insane. But the photo that I'm that I, the, the third photo is uh, off off mat photo um, of Icho. So Icho won the Olympics. It was her fourth, right? Um, and uh, the where I was sitting. Uh, so she's a Japanese wrestler, uh, um, and you know, obviously, I don't think I need to explain who she is and and her her achievements. But um, where the photographers were sitting in relation to where the fans were, we were we were just in front of the fans, or at least I was. There were benches kind of all around, but I was uh, right in front of the fans. And uh, and when the wrestlers won, they would kind of leap over these cardboard stands in front of us and jump over the bench and leap into the arms of their uh, of their fans and family and stuff that was right behind us. And um, as a photographer, it's chaos. I mean, we're literally dropping our gear. People are stepping on gear. Um, it's just madness. But you want to get that shot because there's just a ton of emotion. Uh, and so Icho came right at me. And I mean, like, literally right at me and stepped right next to me. And instead of trying to catch the shot, like by standing on the bench and turning around and catching it over, I followed her and went like kind of underneath where she was standing. And so I have a photo of her looking up at her fans and someone had given her a photo of her mother who had passed away a year before. And so somehow the angle worked where it's fans the photo of her mother and Icho looking at the photo and getting teary-eyed and it all made it in the shot. And so that moment was, it's probably my favorite Olympic photo um, just because of the story behind it and the, the sort of luck kind of involved in being in that moment, deciding without really thinking about it too much that I wasn't gonna, that I was gonna kind of like go under the scene instead of shooting it from over the scene, you know. As we go to the the, the big events, you know, we're recording this yeah. on on September 11th, and you know that's that's an, an you know obviously an important day for uh, not just Americans but uh, you know our allies around the world. And, and traveling with this gear has been different. My wife and I were talking about this today. Like you know, the 17 years ago, there are people in that are that are going to be in college next year that weren't born when when 9/11 happened, and we were talking like, yeah, the first time I ever got on a plane to go to Fargo. I went as somebody else's name. I was I was Gary Alcon on the way to Fargo. I was Jason Cox on the way back. But that doesn't happen now. And then with all this this technology, uh, we have to go through security and whatnot. It can be a bit of a burden to bring all this gear through a TSA checkpoint, uh, leaving the United States. I mean, what are some of the hassles with bringing uh, so much gear? And, and how many times do you get stopped? And that thing has to go through again and again and again uh, through a checkpoint. Yeah, domestically, it's pretty good because most airports um, have the correct x-ray systems that will, like, determine that a camera is a camera and not something, you know, nefarious or, or, or dangerous or anything like that. Um, so um, domestically, it's pretty good. I, uh, I definitely signed up for TSA Pre, which is, which is super helpful. Um, I don't check anything because I just don't trust it. I, and I also, kind of getting back to your GAS, saying I don't want to carry more than like one rolly bag of gear and that does mess me up if I want to bring a change of clothes because you know I've got um an, a book bag which has my computer um and then a rolly bag full literally full of camera gear so if I want 
to bring a change of clothes. I, I do have to check a bag, but it will, it will be clothing. Um, internationally, it's kind of the same deal. I don't ever check anything. And so I take it as carry on. Um, just recently, coming back from World uh, in Paris, uh, I got stopped, got very, very, very hassled about the weight of my bag, which had never occurred to me before, and which made zero sense to me. So here, l let me run down this logic. The bag could be checked and go on the plane, or the bag could be brought on as carry-on and go on the plane, and somehow the weight of the bag being checked versus carry-on makes a difference. The, the, like, I'm like, what? That makes zero sense. Like, if you're telling me it, it can go, like, the weight's the same. It's on the plane. <laughs> you know, whether it's, like, in an overhead bin or in the check, you know, luggage thing, it makes no difference. So that can be a hassle that people have to look out. And it's something for sure that I need to look out for. I, you know, it's not, it depends on the airline. Um, some airlines are, you know, don't care some airlines do definitely international travel they care more about the weight of your gear and you know i was like no joke i was like 40 pounds over <laughs> like i'm like what do you want me to do there's nothing i can do here and yeah it was it was a little bit harrowing for a second but um i got through we came up <laughs> with a creative solution um I took like all non-essential stuff. Uh, I like basically checked my book bag. Like the woman was like, what if you check that? I'm like, let's well, got my computer. She's like, well, what if you put your computer in with your camera gear? And I'm like, I will compromise with you for sure. <laughs> and so we filled up my book bag and checked that. And, and I was still like 30 pounds over the limit. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, all right. But um, yeah, in security, you know, you, you just need to stay alert. Like this kind of gets back to me. I love traveling. And so I'm, I'm good, knock on wood, I'm good in, in a lot of situations, very alert to my surroundings. Um, uh, and uh, you just have to be smart. You know, you have to, you have to present yourself as, um, you know, there's nothing in the role. I literally, my mantra is, it's only dirty laundry. You'd be in the point machine, like, if I'm rolling my bag down the street, like, like going to catch a cab or doing something like that in the middle of Budapest, um, I'm not trying to present myself as anything other than just a tourist who has dirty laundry in his rolly bag. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't have any um, gear labels that are like, you know, I don't have Nikon on my bag. I don't carry my camera outside my bag when I'm carrying all that gear. Um, and I have insurance. I pay, you know, I pay for gear insurance, which uh, would cover a chunk of it, probably not all of it. Um, but you know, it'd be a pain in the butt, but you know, so, um, it would be an excuse to go buy all new gear. <laughs> oh boy. The gear acquisition syndrome again, this one, uh, there you go. yeah, this one involves, uh, you know, I'm going to speak, uh, you know, internationally, uh, Tony Hager from I wrestle and take down radio asked, uh, the best and worst facilities he's shot in and why. Huh? Um, Oh man. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think. You put me on the spot. Um, usually that's what an interview I'm... does, Mr. Rotundo. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, hey, usually, I didn't even have any prep on this one. This one came on as we started recording. So, uh, yeah, you know. 
Um, I was hoping the best would be the Olympics, and it wasn't. We were on benches that were pretty low, and there weren't a lot of spots. So that was super disappointing. That was one thing I was like, I was like, ah, the Olympics finally, because every Olympics up to that point, they had like beautiful seating, and no one was hassling for spots and stuff. And uh, the Olympics were a bit of a disappointment. I had to hustle pretty hard um, to get to get the shooting. I had to show up very early to get the shooting like position I wanted. Um, you know, the worst is probably, <laughs> you know, the, the worst is, um, uh, uh, the, the casino south of the Vegas Strip that the USA wrestling keeps going to, um, the oh, south rodeo, point, was it South Point? South Point. I swear that's like my nemesis, like Tone, uh, Tony Hager, like that, <laughs> that facility is so frustrating to shoot in. Um, uh, so I wouldn't say that's the worst. The worst is, is, is a gym uh, somewhere up here in the North coast where they decided they were going to do a spotlight, but it was like a hundred watt light bulb over the center of the mat. Um, that, that was probably the worst, you know, or it's just like not lit at all. And you're trying you use a flash, but it's just, everything's kind of ugly. Um, so yeah. And, best I'm trying to think where the best NCAAs is usually pretty good though we've got our own hassles actually you know I take that back because we have to shoot across eight mats um I don't know the best I don't know. I, I'm just it. curious, where does, where does Madison Square Garden stack up because that has hosted a world championships we can tie the NCAAs into a world championship venue yeah I enjoyed Madison Square Garden. I enjoyed New York. A lot of people didn't. They thought it was too expensive stuff, but I, I thought it was good. You know, good over. I got a couple good over overhead shots. Um, it was pretty cramped for the photographers. Just to break it down for you guys, um, what you probably don't realize is um, because it's eight, eight mats and they only have a certain width, um, they stick the wrestlers on the ends, and so we're seated on the ends, and so. Um, for the quarterfinals, we're trying to shoot with people and mats right in front of us, and then we're trying to shoot across two or three mats to get all of the fo- all of the matches. And that's probably one of the most frustrating rounds uh, to shoot because we have to, you know, there's there not only is there a ref in your way, there's potentially two or three refs in your way plus wrestlers, plus coaches and stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to Minnesota because, and I know that some people are kind of down on it, but it's going to be one time where we're going to have ample floor space. It'll be really interesting to see what they do, uh, particularly for the photographers and other media, uh, where they're in the, um, the, the, uh, the football arena, right? Um, and they're just going to have tons of floor space for us. So that could be fun. I heard that in the past, the NCAAs, they, they split the center two mat and, and had a walkway where photographers could sit. And uh, everybody's kind of... Um, chattering about how, how great that would be. Um, so uh, NCAAs can be a little frustrating in that regard. Um, but, yeah, you know, the, maybe the biggest thing, my biggest frustration right now is that the California State High School uh, Championships, which are one division, so it's a fantastic uh, state tournament. It's absolutely epic. It, um, the first round, the first day, uh, they won't let any photographers on the mat because a company called Max Preps, who you're probably all aware of, um, owns the rights 
And so photographers, even media photographers like myself and John Sex, cannot get on the floor um, for that. And I literally have to shoot from the stand. So people getting up and getting popcorn. I've got all this gear um, and I'm shooting from, you know, from the stands, parents jumping up in front of me and stuff. So that's one of my biggest frustrations right now. And there's not much they can do. I'm, I'm not faulting anyone. It, it is where it is. Um, you know, people pay money and, and, and they, they get spots, but um, that's a little frustrating. Yeah, I won't even go into the uh, the issues we've had in Minnesota with our state high school league because uh, they've shut out some really good photographers for similar reasons. Now, uh, moving forward, what do you think, and this is another question from Tony, and I think it's a good one too, is what do you think was that first big break that got you into the the discussion where people say great wrestling photographers and you're usually one of the first ones that come out of their mouths? Probably herning because for whatever reason, I don't know that there were, I know John was, John Sachs wasn't at herning. I don't know if Larry Slater was there. So I think herning was really kind of the breakthrough because um, a lot of people were, were relying on me to, for photos. So Mike Finn, Flynn used a lot of my photos in Win Magazine. I'm pretty sure that uh, uh, Jason, you guys probably used my shots. Um, Oh, with I, USA, I, I was at USA Wrestling. Actually, I wasn't even at yeah. USA Wrestling at the time, believe it or not, because Gary oh, wow. Gary didn't make that trip because he was in grad school, so I was basically his proxy. I got hired three months later at USA Wrestling, even though I was working for them there. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah, we definitely uh, definitely used a lot for uh, the stuff that we were doing for social media. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I think the the '08 U.S. team trial, uh, Olympic team trials, um, I did pretty well. I got some good shots there, and I. I got to know Gary. Gary remembered me because um, I literally didn't know the rules of where photographers slash media could go. You know, I've, I've always seen myself. I don't necessarily see myself as media. I, I, I see myself as just an extension of, of, of the, you know, USA wrestling. So like, I'm like kind of there with the athletes and the coaches and it's frustrating for me at times where I get, you know, you're just, you're just media. So go over here. You can't have access to this. So um, there was what they were doing an interview with Clarissa, maybe, or somebody. And I just kind of ran over there because that's where a photo op is. And I totally broke the rules of where media can go. And Jerry ran over and grabbed me and he was pretty polite, but um, I remember John Sachs rolled his eyes pretty, pretty good um, <laughs> when that happened. Because he's like, oh, geez, you're getting in trouble. And I'm like, I didn't know. And I think Gary remembered me after that. But um, I got some good shots at the OTT. And, you know, the, the other thing is, I think just the volume of work, like I really, really dove into it in 07 and 08. I was shooting a lot of high school, um, shooting college and just producing stuff and kind of getting it to people, getting it to um, the folks putting on the tournament giving it to USA wrestling, giving it to the magazines. Um, yeah. And, and uh, so I think those were kind of the marquee events that probably got me recognized. One thing that we haven't discussed yet is I want to know your reaction because I had gone to the, the worlds in 07. So I'd seen it firsthand is it's basically, I don't know if there's an, a term for it. Uh, maybe it's the Yoshida Icho effect or something like that. Speaking about the two, great Japanese women's wrestlers, but the Japanese photographers 
Okay, they, <laughs> I actually, no, I first saw them in 2003, that's right, in New York, and they're just hoarding the mats whenever any, especially, it was more the women than the men, too. It was like, you know, coming off the mat, here comes Yoshida, here comes Ichio, here comes Hamaguchi. It's just like, whoa, I mean, it's just a, a, a swarm. How, do you, how can you explain yeah. that experience, the Japanese photography crew at a wrestling event? Well, you know, they're they're hitting their shot. I mean, that that's their they're they're kind of competing against each other. We just don't have that that many shooters. Um and I think also culturally, you know, the the crowding each other is probably a little bit more acceptable. Um but uh explain it. Um they they it is it is a culturally acceptable thing at least in photography to kind of run over each other to, to get a shot. Um, I think that there's a lot of competition. I, I don't think that they're, they're, they're not doing it um, graciously. You know, they're, they're really, and, and they're, um, you know, they're all working for either for the same, they're not all working for the same uh, media outlet. So they're all have like, you get the shot, I get the shot, you get the shot, I get the shot. You know, like everybody's trying to get that one shot, but they will feed off each other. Right. Um, like, like you, you probably could be like, oh, look, Ichio, and half of them would just run to wherever you pointed because they all kind of like get worked up. Um, I know from my perspective, like Gary would would be like, oh, you got to look out for those Japanese photographers. And I I hold my own in that scrum. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I do. I'm like, I, I you know, I I want that shot, too. Um, so I'll, you know, you, you, you just, you gotta, you gotta hold your ground. You can't panic. You can't, um, you can't hassle people if they're actually not in your shot. So people can be in your physical space, but the way that, you know, the barrel, your barrel of your lens is pointing toward this thing, unless somebody's right in front of the barrel of the lens, um, they're not in your shot. So they might be in your space, but they're not in your shot. And so you gotta, you gotta be, you know, you gotta be a little bit like calm in that moment and be like, okay, you know, this is going to end in just a minute. Um, but also there's respect too. I mean, I know a lot of those photographers, not by name, but they've seen me and they've seen my work and everybody kind of um, looks over each other's shoulders as they're, as they're chimping photos, as they're, they're looking photos or, or they'll go to your website or whatever. And so I think that there's respect there. Um, you know, um, they see me at events and, and you kind of kind of know who's, who's like a really solid shooter who really loves the sport and who's just trying to, you know, to put food on the table and, and get one shot and then walks off or whatever. So I think there's some respect there. Yeah. Well, what about the, uh, the, I guess, international diplomacy that wrestling brings? I mean, you, you get to know photographers from around the world. I know that our, our friend Sachiko from Japan, she's basically become a favorite of ours because she's just such fun to be around when she shoots for Japan and, and United World Wrestling, and, you know, you get to see the same faces, you know, it's it's like when we go to Fargo, we see the same coaches, you know, here domestically, we go to the, we go to the Worlds, we go to the Junior Worlds, we know, we're, we're seeing the Bob Costas of Iran doing the broadcasting, we're seeing, you know, you know, Martin Gabor from from Hungary shooting photos, I mean, what's it, what's it like to build those relationships with, with people that uh, you don't always speak the same language with? It's awesome, I mean, it, it's just, that, again, it's that, that mutual respect for this great sport, um, people who really, who really love the sport and, and get involved. And, uh, it's, it's really fun. Um, you know, I, I wish I could see folks more. I, it's kind of lends one of the reasons why 
I'm really bummed about missing worlds this year is that I'm going to miss uh, spending time time with people and um, and you know going out for drinks afterwards and stuff. And so yeah, it's it's really great. Um, it's a, it's an important part of the of the whole thing. Um, and you know, I, I I just a little bug like I I appreciate that. You know, when I first started, like the idea of shooting for Fila, like I remember seeing Martin um, uh, across the the mat, and you know, back when Fila was in power and uh, or whatever, however you want to put that, um, I was like, I want to I want to be that guy. Like this, just talking about goal setting and achieving goals and stuff like that. Like I remember seeing uh, I, w- I was shooting on one side, and and there was the Fila photographer on the other, and I was like, how do you how do you be that guy? Like, how, how did, how does that work? And so then, you know, it took years, but, um, you know, I've been shooting with UWW for a couple of years now, um, at some of the big events, world cups and stuff like that. Um, and it takes, it takes relationship building. Um, you know, it, it takes getting to know people. Um, it takes just, just striving to put out a great product that, um, that's consistent that, um, if people hear that you're going to an event, um, they know that the good photos will come from it, you know, like, uh, and so it's a lot of work and it's a lot of care like to, to be, to be great at something. Uh, and, um, that's my, my plug for any, any up and coming photographers. Uh, it won't happen overnight. Um, it takes a ton of work. You got to shoot a lot. You got to figure out your processing. You got to figure out, you know, your eye, what looks good to you. Um, you know, and you got to put in the time and the money and the and learn the skills. You can check out Tony's photos at wrestlersarewarriors.com. We're actually going to do a special page because I realize, you know, going through the show notes and trying to click link after link after link. Yeah, we're going to go matttalkonline.com slash Tony Photos. He sent me a <laughs> bunch of stuff in our uh, National Wrestling Media Association Slack channel that we will throw out and put all these links up. A lot of this stuff is, of course, on uh, wrestlersofwarriors.com and you can find out more uh, from Tony post nuptials at Tony underscore Rotundo on Twitter and uh, Tony as uh, we know it's it's a busy time work is never done for people but uh, anything else you'd like to add here as we wrap up the World Wrestling Resource Podcast uh, you know just uh, thanks for the opportunity I, I appreciate it Jason um, and uh, yeah keep keep doing what you're doing I, I love the podcast um, I love the network and uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate the uh, the time. I hope uh, hope it was as entertaining as uh, some of your other podcasts. And uh, please go check out the photos, everyone. Um, yeah, there's some good stuff there. I pulled out for Jason kind of some of my top shots or my favorite shots from each world, uh, from the Olympics, uh, and then the shot that was describing earlier in the cast. Subscribe to the World Wrestling Resource Podcast by going to www.rpodcast.com and check it out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, or wherever you find your podcasts. World Wrestling Resource at worldwrestlingresource.com. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.